Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to The Audible, presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman. What an exciting week. It's game week. It's week one, first full week of the season. But we got to look back at week zero real quickly. And we've been doing Power 5 previews. The one that we haven't gotten to yet is Big 12. Justin Williams, our excellent Cincinnati and Big 12 writer, will be coming on to talk about that. Um, So first of all, Bruce, basically there's two... Two Power Five big-name teams that played over the weekend. Let's start with Notre Dame, who who beat the pants off of Navy 42-3. to Really was over by halftime. Um, Sam Hartman threw four touchdowns. Talk of the town afterward. Was that your big takeaway or something else Notre Dame did that you're like, oh, huh, that could be interesting this year? No, I mean, uh, Max Olson and I had our our top 20, top 100 uh, impact transfer rankings come out. We had Sam Hartman, number one, feel co- very confident after he looked really sharp. I mean, only four incompletions, also had four touchdown passes. I think one of the things that we heard a lot of from the coaches at, at Notre Dame was how well he distributes the ball. And he will be the best quarterback Notre Dame has probably had there. I don't know, at least since Jimmy Clausen, maybe since Brady Quinn. I, I think he's that good of and that big of a pickup for them. I don't know if he makes them a top 10 team, but he makes them much, much better. I just think they'll be able to operate. Navy's been really down, so I, I think it's like, you know, can't read too much into it. Um, did you have any other things that jumped out at you from watching the game? Well, first of all, I think you made, you know, the important thing is to keep it in perspective. Navy, not a great team last year. Coaching change. You don't want to read too much into, you know, that they clobbered Navy. It'd be different if it was a better opponent. Um, And because of that, it's hard for me to say, like, oh, Sam Hartman's amazing because of the defense he was facing. Um, But the triple option gives teams trouble, even a team like Notre Dame that faces it every year. They gave up two big plays early, and then they just completely shut them down the rest of the way. And I think that because of all the attention around Sam Hartman, there hasn't been much talk of like, this could be a real, actually based on, I mean, the veterans they have coming back, this could be a really good Notre Dame defense, especially in the front seven. Yeah, one of the one of the freaks list guys I had really high up is Riley Mills. He is a big, explosive, 305-pound guy who can, who can be a dominant force for them. And I think they have speed on the back end as well. This is... A, you know, Al Golden was a guy, a lot of people, you know, Miami fans are certainly going to kind of like roll their eyes at this, but he was a defensive coordinator coming back from the NFL. A lot of people were very interested in, he decided to go to Notre Dame. I think he's got a decent amount to work with between Hartman, a good run game and what we think will be a pretty, pretty stout defense might be a good recipe for them. Like, you know, I, it wouldn't shock me if this became a top 10 team, given how 
good Sam Hartman is as a college quarterback. It's going to be really interesting once we get through at least this week and maybe another as we see how Ohio State looks early on. That game is looming week four. You know, it was kind of an ugly Ohio State win last year, but they won the game. Um, I don't think it really like foretold anything for either of those teams, but this year it's a little bit, you know, that was the opening week. This year you've got a few weeks to see the teams ahead of time. As of this moment, I would still pick Ohio State, but I want to see, I mean, I haven't seen Ohio State's, whoever Ohio State's quarterback is, haven't seen them yet. After three, um, after several years of Ohio State, I mean, when I would compare those two teams in particular, the huge difference was Ohio State having these first round quarterbacks and Notre Dame having, no offense, Ian Book, Jack Cohn. I think, you know, Notre Dame may well have the better quarterback this year. So that puts an interesting twist on it. Speaking of great quarterbacks, USC San Jose State, Caleb Williams, back doing his Caleb Williams thing. But he was not the breakout star of that game, was he? No, Zachariah Branch came in, you know, Vegas kids super fast. And what's interesting to look at, USC's had some guys come in last year. Mario Williams transferred in from Oklahoma. Um, Relique Brown was a big time recruit. Those guys are really explosive kids. This guy, and we've been hearing from people inside USC for months how excited they are about him. You saw it. I mean, over I think it was over 250 yards, all purpose uh yardage, had the long kickoff return for touchdown, had some other plays where he just is on a different level in terms of burst. I don't want to say he's like Reggie out there because he's not as big, but he is super dynamic. And that's the last thing you want is USC has has a guy like this. I mean, Jordan Addison was obviously a, a, a big weapon for them because he was a really smooth route runner. Um, but this guy is such a different dimension. I mean, than than what they had last year. I mean, what a debut for him. Yeah, it's, a, it's extremely rare to see a true freshman come out in his first game. I don't care how highly rated you were, what team you're playing for, to have that big an impact in your first game. I did see the Reggie comparisons. I get it. Reggie was all purpose, but you're right. Like they play different positions. They're not the same body type. I don't necessarily have an instant, um, an instant comparison, but like he's thicker than Deshaun. I was trying to think about like who, you know, we'll see it's, it's early. Percy Harvin. No, Percy Harvin is like Reggie size. Percy Harvin's than Reggie, so well, you you know everybody's heights and weights. I don't. Uh, I thought there was an interesting stat here from our USC writer Antonio Morales, who said in 14 games last season, USC posted 93 punt return yards. Last night in his first college game, Branch had 66. So that was 66 yards in punt returns, in addition to the 96 yard kickoff return, in addition to all the receiving yards. So. That is the, he was by far the breakout star of week zero. Now, uh, USC, I playoff team. I think they could be much better on defense on going into the game. A lot of people who watch that game are saying, same old Alex Grinch defense. Your thoughts? It's week one. I think what you had was you had a couple of breakdowns that Chevin Cordero is a good quarterback. He was the Mountain West uh, preseason player of the year on offense. So, I think they I w- if I'm a USC fan, I would have liked to have seen them be a lot tougher against the run. To me, that was damning as much as giving up some big plays in the past game. 
the mm-hmm. promising part, you know, two of the transfers Max and I wrote about a lot, Mason Cobb, who's a linebacker they really love, um, and Anthony Lucas, who is the former five-star defensive lineman from AM, they both showed up pretty well. But I think what you have to hope if you're a USC fan is that, you know, Damani Jackson, who was a huge recruit and, you know, super fast kid, and they're high on how he looked in camp, you know, that he just, he hasn't played a ton of college football and that these guys, you know, don't have the missed assignments or the coverage busts and they're tightened up. And over time, you think that's going to happen, but they definitely have some kinks to work out. I mean, they gave up almost 400 yards of offense, but it, it looked like it probably looked worse than that, to be honest. That's because they gave up so many big plays. They gave up a 57 yard run. Nick Nash, the San Jose State receiver who caught six passes for 89 yards and three touchdowns, had a 32 yard catch. My thing would be this I don't overreact to one game. I, I think last year's USC defense had two things working against it. The talent was not there yet. And they're just a terrible tackling team. There's no other way to put it. I think that I, I'm encouraged by the talent upgrade. What I saw was not just missed assignments, but like just the, they're playing the wrong coverage at the wrong time. And that's that's on Alex Grinch. So uh, this is going to be my hot take that maybe I'll regret. But I just think that San Jose State's going to be really good this year on offense. Uh, they have been getting better each of the last couple of years. I think if you can have that kind of performance against a team that some people, myself included, are picking to play off, that's a pretty good sign for San Jose State. But if this continues past a few weeks, then I got to say, you know, the coordinator's a big problem. Uh, I was surprised Lincoln Riley brought him back. The Pac-12 title game and the, and the Tulane game were such disasters. I thought he would be gone. Um, he brought him back. He's loyal to him. If we don't see, if we continue to see just giving up big play after big play, then I don't think it's a talent deficiency um, situation anymore. I think it's an Alex Grinch problem. I think we got to see this schedule, I think, shapes up well for them in this regard. They play Nevada next. I don't think Nevada's, you know, a particularly good team. They play a Stanford team that's massive rebuild. Then they go to ASU. ASU is... We'll talk about ASU in a second. That's a pretty big, uh, pretty big rebuild. And then you go to Boulder. I mean, yeah, it's a light early schedule. So, yeah. And then they'll play and then they get Arizona. Arizona's in there and Arizona has firepower. But I think if they cannot over this first five games get things sorted out, especially on back end. um, And I do think they will, to be honest. I really think they will get again. I don't think they're going to be like um, the 85 Bears, but I do think they will get considerably better. Because of some of the guys in the middle of the defense, Tackett Curtis, Mason Cobb, I think Kellen Bullock's a really good player. And now he's much more physical because he's, whatever, 15 pounds stronger than he was last year when he was struggling to be 180 pounds. And I think eventually those guys wore out. I think this team can be more physical. I think it's going to take a little, it's going to take some time. Um, but we'll see. I mean, right now it's an incomplete, you know, they have that. Their schedule set, sets up, as I said, the right way for them to to kind of work work through this. Yeah, I think give them a few games. But if we're still seeing all the same issues week three, week four, then what faith am I going to possibly have that it's going to stand up once they start playing 
Michael Penix and Bo Nix and and some of the other really good quarterbacks in the conference. If you can't stop the guys you're playing these for, you know, Stanford, Nevada, not that you can't stop them, but that you're giving up a lot of big plays to them. All right, staying western part of the country, Sunday morning, some surprising news. Uh, Arizona State, which has been under NCAA investigation for two years, uh, stemming from the uh, COVID recruiting dead period, uh, lots and lots of allegations against uh, Herm Edwards' former staff. He's now gone, obviously. Um, just been like turtle crawl. Uh, and we never hear any developments. And all of a sudden, Sunday morning, uh, ASU announces a self-imposed bowl ban for 2023. I don't know that Arizona State was going to go to a bowl in 2023, but obviously it was just a gut punch to those players, especially to those seniors. And to me, the way they handled it is just deplorable. Uh, You could have instituted a bowl ban at any point in the last two years. You could have certainly instituted it earlier this offseason. They waited until the week of the first game. And by the way, they're opening on Thursday, so it's not even a full week before the game. Nobody can, none of the seniors can transfer. It's too late. Um, just, it, it just angers me that Ray Anderson, the AD, the guy who hired his for, his buddy, Herm Edwards, for the job in the first place, is still there, still gets to make these kind of decisions. Kenny Dillingham, you could see, there was a video that went out of him answering reporters' questions. He just got there. He can't throw his AD under the bus. New coach. But he was pissed. <laughs> There's no other way to put it. Um, I, I I also don't even understand why they, that's the route they chose when we just saw in the Tennessee case, the NCAA is finally starting to get away from bowl bans, finally recognizing that it punishes players who had nothing to do with the, uh, the cheating. And in ASU's case in particular, where half the roster is from the transfer portal, truly, truly, ha- they weren't even at ASU when these things happened. Yeah, I can't, I'm surprised Ray Anderson still is working there. To be honest, I'm almost shocked. But then again, the leadership of ASU we've talked we talked about this recently is just like, you know, what are they thinking? A lot of times, uh, including Michael Crow, the president, is who you're referring to. Who knows? Maybe ESPN will self-sanction Herm and not let him appear during bowls <laughs> now that he's over there. Yeah, Herm escapes with no punishment. Um, I, even if they were to slap like a show cause on him, he's not coming back to college coaching. Ray Anderson, completely unaffected. Um, but but the players, Kenny Dillingham, they're, they're going to suffer. So, look, Michael Crow has come up on this. We don't usually talk about college presidents, but Michael Crow has become such a villain in the Pac-12. He's one of the guy who enabled Larry Scotto those years, who could, up right till the end thought the Pac-12 network was a success. And then, you know referred to the Apple, you know, insist he was trying to get the PAC 12 to stay together until the last second. I get that. But the way he talked about that Apple deal, you would think they were uh, the greatest TV deal in history. But the thing is, we live in this world where the only exposure we have to these presidents is athletics. Michael Crow is the president of a university. Academics is a much bigger part of his job. And ASU has raised its academic profile considerably since he's been there. They got into the AAU. So I think he's highly respected as a university president, but he, if you were to like make a list of people who most contributed to the demise of the Pac-12, he would be very high on it. 
All right, Stu, let's pivot from a program that is not going to the postseason and talk about this past weekend. Uh, the Athletic posted a lot of our final four picks and playoff um, predictions. And yes, I have a bone to pick with you. you. Have a bone to pick with me? Okay. Well, look, you're all. So the thing is, like, I'm always the one writing the opinion pieces and the rankings, the coach, and you come on here and mock them. This is a rare chance for me to return the return the fire. So you did a. Have you ever done a preseason top twenty five before? Yes, I've done them a lot. I okay, not recently. I don't think. Not probably. Here's your. So you come out with it. Number one, Michigan. I think we saw that coming since your article about how they're going to set the record in draft picks. Number two, LSU. That number three, USC. This was before the USC game. And by the way, Jim. And number four, Georgia. That wasn't me saying it. It was Jim Harbaugh saying that. Correct. You have the two-time defending champions, the team that has, I think, become the new Alabama in this sport, number four behind USC. Explain yourself. Uh, I think they're really good. I think they'll make the playoff. I don't think they'll win it. Nobody has three-peated in major college football um, so in whatever, 90 years. I am skeptical. I of them doing the three-peat. I also think they're going to miss Stetson Bennett and his wheels, especially when it comes to the playoffs. Stetson Bennett was awesome in the playoff the last year. Counted for 15 touchdowns, one pick. Uh, Carson Beck has a good arm, and everybody thinks he's really sharp, but he is more of a pocket guy. I also wonder, you know, I don't know if they get tested really in the regular season much. I know they got to go to Knoxville, but the rest of the schedule is about as weak as you're going to, you can get in the SEC. I think that may come back to bite them, you know, in the end. I actually agree that I, the chances of them three-peating, I would say are definitely less than 50%. It's really hard to do. And I do think you have a legit point about that the schedule might not properly prepare them for the playoff. I just don't think there's three teams better than them. Like maybe they make it to the national championship game and lose. And in particular, we just talked about USC and they need to figure out a defense to have them ranked higher than Georgia is astonishing to me. Here's what, let me finish. So I think where they get, got the first time is I think LSU gets them in the conference championship game. Yeah, that, that I would buy. And they're sitting at a four and I think Michigan will knock them off in the, in the semifinal this time. So you're so I assume this is your playoff field. Number one, Michigan. Number two, yeah. LSU. Number three, USC. Number four, Georgia. I think the teams will finish. I, this, to me, it's stupid to just go. Oh, this is my preseason top twenty-five. This is not how I think the teams are going to finish. Yeah, I think at this point in time, that's fair. Um, and I have a lot of overlap with you. I have number one, Georgia. Number two, Michigan. Number three, LSU. Number four, USC. So you think Georgia is three-peating? I picked them to three-peat against my own better judgment just because I don't have a great other op- – I'll say this. If they don't three-peat, I think that my alternate choice would be LSU. I think you might be uh, trying to outsmart yourself a little bit here. I know you're very high on Michigan. Yeah. But at this point, I believe one time since 2006, one time a team outside of the Southeast has won the national championship, Ohio State in 2014. Like at this point in time – why, why, why do we keep trying to reinvent the wheel here? The national champion is all is almost always from the SEC, and if it's not from the SEC, 
It's from the ACC, Clemson, Florida State before that. Like, why do we keep trying to convince ourselves that a team like Michigan, who's very talented, I just don't think SEC, top of the SEC talented, can win the national championship? I just think the the way they're set up right now, they have a ton of guys back. Honestly, I have more confidence. Like, J.J. McCarthy wasn't flawless last year by any stretch, but I have more confidence in J.J. McCarthy than I would in Carson Beck, who's never played, who's never played really any substantive moments. Um, That's why. I, I just think at this point, like I said, I think it's super hard to, to three-peat. I'm not saying everything went their way, but Stu, for everything you just said, you know, Ohio State came within a missed field goal of winning a national title last year. Yeah, and the year before that, you know, Georgia beats Alabama in that championship game. Jamison Williams gets hurt very early in that game. Uh, to that point in the game, they hadn't really shown they were going to be able to stop him, which was the same thing that happened in the SEC championship. You definitely got to catch some breaks. They've caught breaks, and and Marvin Harrison got hurt in the semifinal last year. They were down 14 points going into the fourth quarter. I, I get it. I, you know, I think they're a terrific team. But like people are like, didn't you watch the uh, you know the Sugar Bowl a couple of years ago? I was like, yeah, I did. There was not a lot of guys who were pl- who are going to be playing now. What, what was what's the significance of the Sugar Bowl? Some Georgia fans going. Didn't you watch? It was like two years ago. I was like, first of all, oh the the Georgia Michigan game. It was like Caden McNamara. It was in the Orange Bowl, but yeah, it was a total blowout. And it, but it was like Caden McNamara was a starting quarterback at Michigan. Most of the guys who are playing for Georgia are in the NFL now. It's different guys, but I think it's similar talent level. I just think Georgia is just so stacked in talent. Like Michigan's very talented. I just don't think they're wave after wave talented the way Georgia is. So if Georgia and Michigan met, and here's the weird thing. This is what I struggle with right now. And this happened last year. We saw this play out. Michigan has owned Ohio State the last two years. They physically dominate them. If they were playing again next week, I would pick Michigan. But if you say, which team has a better chance to knock off Georgia, Michigan or Ohio State, I would say Ohio State. I just think it's matchups. And um, a team that can, the team that has, now, I don't, we don't even know who Ohio State's quarterback's going to be this year, but C.J. Stroud was every bit the number two pick in the draft in that game last year. They're loaded at receiver. You know, I don't care how much talent you have on your defense. It's, that's the kind of team that's going to give a Georgia-type defense fits. I think Michigan style it lends itself to beating an Ohio State team that hasn't been all that physical on defense the last couple of years. I don't think it beats Georgia. I think that what you said, I don't disagree with. The only thing is C.J. Stroud's in the NFL now. And, like, yeah. really don't know. Like, if you asked me, and this is what I come back to on this, it's not as this is a oversimplification of it, but like, who do I think is a better quarterback right now? I think JJ McCarthy, I would take him 10 times out of 10 times or whoever Ohio State. out of those three teams, he's the most proven quarterback. And I would tell you, but I would take him 10 times over, uh, you know, out of 10 over who Ohio State's going to start. Now, if you ask me, well, I picked Ohio State to go 10 and two, so I don't even think they're going to get the chance to play Georgia in a playoff game this year. I was on an Ohio State podcast recently, and we were talking through. He was kind of asking me why, why ten and two, why third place in the East, and I made it very clear. Like, I don't think there's some huge gap there with Michigan and Penn State. They're very close to each other. But like, I have more questions about Ohio State going into the season than I usually do. The quarterback, obviously, the two tackles. I mean, they brought in this kid from San Diego State, who I guess has locked up a starting job, but 
you know, they're replacing two really good guys. And then they haven't been great on defense the last couple of years. They have two awesome defensive ends. Like it's Ohio State. There's talent on defense. Or are they going to be a dominant defense? Because I think Michigan and Penn State will definitely be dominant defenses. Of the three, I'm least confident in Ohio State's defense. So 10-2 and two for most programs, perfectly good year. I think at Ohio State it would be panic time. Yeah, that's why it's going to be so so much fun to watch all this play out. I cannot wait um, for the actual games to happen. Give me one team. So none of the teams that either of us had in the playoff field would be surprising to anyone if they made the playoff. Give me one team that comes out of nowhere and makes the playoff. And makes the playoff. Because each of the last two, nobody saw Michigan coming two years ago. And certainly nobody saw TCU coming last year. Is there anybody that you're like, you know? It's got to be out of our top 10 then. Uh, yeah. Mm. You can't say, here, I'm going to give you the name. The, these are the teams you can't say. Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State, Alabama, LSU, USC, Penn State, Florida State, and Clemson. Anybody else is fair game. Penn State is fair game? No. Ranked too high. Um, I don't feel... Uh, uh, um, I left you one layup, by the way. I'm not, read me the game, the names again. They're the top nine in the AP poll. Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State, Alabama, LSU, USC, Penn State, Florida State, Clemson. I mean, I don't feel that excited about Washington or Oregon at this point, because I just think that they're, they're going to knock each other off. Mm-hmm. Like we had, you know, uh, I don't know if I. I'll go wild card and say K-State. Okay. Yeah, I like K-State. Definitely. Texas A&M. Whoa. Call me crazy. Call me crazy. The layup? No, the layup was I thought you were going to take Washington, number 10 Washington. You're very high on them. I'm very high on them. I thought maybe you were going to say them. But yeah. your reasoning is is perfectly sound. Texas A&M. Well, let me ask you this. After coming off that Navy game, what percentage chance do you give Notre Dame of making the playoff? 14%. Pretty low. Pretty low. I can't say I'd be much higher. The thing, the, the issue I have with Notre Dame, I mean, they're certainly going to be a lot better. Sam Hartman alone, I think, makes them a lot more dangerous. But you're going to play three games against teams in this preseason top 10, right? You're going to play Ohio State. You're going to play uh you're going to play Clemson, who you beat up on last year, but this one's in Clemson, and you're going to play USC. So, and it's Notre Dame, so they probably got to go undefeated, right? Like all their teams that made the playoff. No, they weren't undefeated in 2020. They lost that championship game to Clemson. So 11 and one again, and you. So you got to win two out of those three. Now I don't know if they can do it. Can uh, I back up a step because I feel like this is. We just had like a moment on the podcast where it was like the Costanza scene where he comes out of the bathroom without the shirt on. You just like dropped, I'm going to have Texas A&M, you know, make the playoff and then just like walked away from it. It's amazing that you, you mean you, you consume almost no pop culture, but you, you watch Seinfeld like the rest of us and you have a Seinfeld reference for everything. I can't tell you how many times George Costanza comes up a good, in these things. No, I thought this was. I think A&M is boomer bust. I think if you tell me they're going to go five and seven again this year, I'd believe you. But I do think there's talent there. Uh, and I'm a big Bobby Petrino believer. Now, Jimbo has to let him do his thing. But I think he's a great offensive coach and a great offensive play caller. 
And look, I've already made my feelings clear about Alabama that I think they're taking a step back. I'm very, very high on LSU, but if you told, but would it be a complete shock if LSU goes nine and three instead of, um, you know, eleven and one, twelve and zero? No. So there is an opening for A and I wouldn't take them over Georgia, but if they were the second SEC team, so I'm not giving. You said what did you say for Notre Dame? Fourteen percent. Yeah. I mean, AM, I would say like 7%. Wow. But, you know, we're we, looking for a wild card team that nobody saw coming. How about a team in the SEC? Because I think it's important that it's, you know, SEC team that went five and seven last year. Dude, you need to go to Vegas right now, walk into a sports book and plunk down your daughter's future college tuition on the, whatever that's going to be. I'm guessing. I don't think, let me look it up real quick, but I don't think Notre Dame's, I mean, um, AM's odds are as crazy as you think they are. Because they are, they're ranked for one thing. Um, odds of winning the national championship preseason. How far down the list do you think A and M is? I would think they're tw- uh, probably eighteen spots down. Uh, they are fifteenth, so not too far off. Yeah, I actually, would make some good money there. They're plus four thousand. So that's a that's. I'm telling you. Yeah, considering it. Yeah, I, they're not going to win the national championship. They could sneak in as a playoff team. So. We got to talk Big 12. Um, Let's get to our guest, shall we? Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. We're pleased to be joined now by our colleague Justin Williams, the biggest talent to come out of Cincinnati this side of Ellie De La Cruz. Um, He has covered the Bearcats for us a long time and now he is a Big 12 writer thanks thanks to Realignment. Um, thanks for coming on, Justin. Let's start with talk me off the ledge. I think the first season, you know, we're two, only two years removed from Cincinnati going to playoff. There's been a lot of talent to cycle out of there since then. Then Luke Fickle leaves. Convince me why they're actually going to have a good season and not like a four and eight kind of season. 
their first year in the Big 12. So I think if you're if you're going to be bullish on the Bearcats, probably not a lot of people are this season. Uh, there's two things working in their favor. They should have a really good defense, which was always kind of their you know calling card under Luke Fickle and you know when Marcus Freeman was there. Um, Dante Corleone, the Godfather, preseason first team All American. <laughs> Juwan Briggs, uh, you know Cincinnati kid, former Virginia transfer, was first team All AAC last season. Deshaun Pace, Ivan Pace, Pace's younger brother, he was really good on their um, playoff team in 2021, and then Ivan Pace comes in last year and kind of steals the show, becomes a unique animus all-american so they have really good pieces on defense i think brian brown the new defensive coordinator who followed scott satterfield from from louisville uh i think is really good i think he's kind of a rising star uh, among assistants in in college football so the defense could keep them should be able to keep them in games this season And, and then the other thing that could be their biggest saving grace honestly is their schedule like for their first season in the big 12 it's about as good as they could possibly ask for they get all of the three other newcomers BYU, Houston, UCF. Um, they don't play Texas. They don't play Texas Tech. They don't play Kansas State. They don't play TCU, which I think is like hmm. the four top teams, um, you know, in the rankings, uh, the preseason rankings. They finish with West Virginia and Kansas. They get Iowa State, who I'm sure we're going to talk about. You know, it's, it's kind of a mess right now with all the gambling stuff. So if it gets to the end of the season and, and Cincinnati is like a surprise six and six team, um, you know, bowl eligible or maybe even like pulls off seven wins somehow, I think people are going to look back and say like, man, the, the schedule set up really nice for them. And, and the defense ended up being really good. That's an optimistic take on it, but that's how it would work, I think. Justin, let me ask you, a lot of people remember Emory Jones. He started at Florida two years ago and then transferred to ASU. And obviously that was a mess, not not per se the Emory Jones part, but everything else around what was Herm Edwards program. Um, what have you heard from people inside the program about Emory Jones evolution there? Yeah, I think the biggest thing, you know, he was really bad in, in spring, honestly, just from from what we got to see and from talking to people, um, you know, it was inaccurate, just didn't totally look comfortable. And then they had the spring game. And at the time, he was still competing with Ben Bryant, who was a starter last year, who was on the roster. And Emory came out and looked great in the spring game. It, it was by far the best he had done all spring. Uh, ben Bryant ends up transferring to Northwestern. And so it was kind of just like the job fell into Emory Jones's lap without them really deciding. Uh, but he's definitely gotten more comfortable. He's looked much better from what I've seen in fall and from talking to people than he did in spring and i think kind of the biggest you know x factor with him at arizona state you mentioned it was a weird situation they also just they tried to make him a pocket passer which never made sense you know i wrote about this in the spring i think he had like 20 design runs all of last year at arizona state he was banged up and hurt a little bit maybe that contributed to it but you know kind of you know the the biggest um advantages for him one of his biggest skills is his mobility his running ability he was able to do that a couple years ago at florida you know he threw too many interceptions turned the ball over that that's probably still going to be something he's going to have to work on this season but scott satterfield has always liked and always used you know dual threat mobile quarterbacks and so i think that's you know going to be a big part of of the the offense and of his game this season um is using his mobility to, to get out and make plays and then a lot of Scott Satterfield's passing game is, you know, off play action, trying to take some shots downfield. And, and he's actually looked pretty good uh, in, in fall being able to do that. So, again, I'm not going to you know say he's going to 
turn into the four star top 100 talent or whatever he was when he when he went to Gainesville coming out of high school. But I just think he was used in such a weird manner at Arizona State last season. And, and I think he's definitely going to be better than what he showed there. And if he can tap into some of that dual threat capability that he showed at Florida, keep the turnovers down, keep the interceptions down. He, he's going to look much better than what people might have saw last year, uh, you know, out in uh, out at ASU. All right. So if we take a step back and look at the broader picture of the Big 12 this year, it seems to me that it comes down to, are you a believer in Texas or not? Because I do think they're the most talented team. They're the preseason favorite by the media. And our colleague Ari Wasserman says they're a playoff team. So write that into the bank. But what I think we've seen in the Big 12 the last couple of years, after all those years of Oklahoma dominating it, is that it's flattened, right? It's was Baylor and Oklahoma State two years ago. It was TCU and K-State last year. And when I look at it, I see another competitive race where half dozen teams could emerge. But if you want to make the case that Quinn Ewers and all those receivers, like Texas is just so much more talented than these guys, they should they should win it. So I'm going to go around the room. You know how I feel about it, but I want to get everybody else's opinion. I think for me, it's really a question of are you a believer in Texas, but really are you a believer in Steve Sarkeesian? Um, he's been a head coach for nine years. He's had some good moments. I mean, Washington was horrible before he got there. He made them respectable, but they didn't become much more than that. They never, you know, in five years, I don't feel like they got much better. At USC tenure was disastrous for a lot of off the field issues, but actually his first year at USC, he won nine games. That's the best season he's had. The, you know, so to me, for a guy who's been a head coach for almost a decade, and again, he, t- he didn't take over a Texas program that was anywhere near as bad as what Washington was. But I just look at it and go, I'm not convinced that his team and his program can be consistent enough right now because it's still a really young team. Like it's it's much more talented on the offensive line from, you know, from the people I talk to than uh, than it's been in years, probably in, in a decade. But they're still pretty young. As we mentioned, Quinn Ewers, I, t- I spent some time with him um, this offseason seems like he's matured a lot. Everyone around there says he's matured a lot. I think that bodes well. They got really good receivers, albeit no Bijan in the backfield anymore. I think they're better. I I think I wouldn't go anywhere near as far as Ari has gone. I don't think they're a playoff team. I think they're probably a nine-win team, which is honestly, it's better than they've been in a while. And it's as good as, it'd probably be the best season he's ever had. But I'm not ready to, I don't see enough from him and them to go, oh, yeah, they're going to take not just one big leap forward. They're going to take a massive leap forward. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of the same as you, Bruce. Like, it feels like a nine and three team. It's it's funny how much hype they're getting. And, you know, for understandable reasons, everyone's kind of down on Alabama compared to Alabama. Like that week two game, I think is going to be really interesting. And you know, I, I, I would give Saban the advantage uh, in that one, just heading into it. Um yeah, you mentioned Sarkeesian. For for me, it's all Quinn Ewers. Um, I, I was talking to a coach a couple weeks ago, and you know, he basically said like they have all the pieces, right? Xavier Worthy, um, they got Ad Mitchell in the portal, Jatavian Sanders, the tight end. But Ewers is going to have to come out and you know be able to to use those those weapons. Some of the advanced stats, however much you want to dig into that stuff, like he wasn't great on it last year. But he's clearly talented, so if he takes that leap, feels a little bit more comfortable, he's healthy, what I talked about, he's he's in better shape, he loses the mullet, all that kind of stuff. It, you know, If all those things work in, in his favor and go in the right direction, and he's a fringe Heisman candidate or an all-conference player, then yeah, Texas 
has all the talent in the world that they should be uh, Big 12 champions. But I would just like to see it happen first, um, like to see him take that step, like to see all the intangible stuff come together for Texas. And so I'm kind of on the other side of it with Ari. I don't think they're going to tank or anything like that, but I'm with you. I think they're more of an eight and four, nine and three team. Those games every season where Texas is the more talented team and should win and they go in and lose to, you know, whoever, TCU, Iowa State, Kansas State. I'd like to see them pull out those games this season, you know, before I totally buy into it. So the question is, is anybody not a nine and three, eight and four kind of team? Um, When I did my predictions on the site last week, it wasn't intentional. Just looking at teams, playing out schedules. It was like everybody was somewhere between nine and three and four and eight. And even some of the four and eight teams, I'm like, they could, they could go nine and three. But it's, but of course last year, nobody would have thought TCU would rise up and go 12 and zero in the regular season. If you remember the year before Baylor was coming off, the weird COVID year under Dave Aranda and they, nobody would have seen that coming. So pick a team that's not Texas. I'm going to say not Oklahoma too, who if it come, you know, maybe come the end of the season, things they catch fire. They're in that 10, 11 win range. Dustin, why don't you go first? And if the answer is there's nobody, that then won't we'll, we'll know. That might be the answer. My pick and the, the team I picked to win the conference was, was Kansas State. Um, you know, it's funny. They had a really good season last year, obviously. They were 10-4, and 7-2 um, and two in conference, but then beat TCU in the title game, even though TCU goes on to the national championship. Um, but for me, like I think Kansas State is, is the team to beat in the conference. They get Will Howard back at quarterback. They have their entire starting offensive line back. I realize they lose Deuce Vaughn, but they get Treshawn Ward, the running back from from uh, Florida State. They get DJ Giddens back in the backfield. And I just think kind of the culture that Kleiman is is building there is is really strong. Um, and you know they, they do have a tough schedule, but they get no Oklahoma. They have TCU at home. I think if anyone is going to rise up and be like a ten, maybe even an eleven win team in conference uh my best bet would be on on kansas state to do that i like kansas state as well for a lot of the reasons you said the the my dark horse team there though is in lubbock and it's texas tech i think talking to some of those coaches in the last couple of weeks tyler shuck is really really talented i think i think zach kitley who's the offense coordinator there he's a kingsbury disciple uh he's had a lot of success even without cliff i think uh, if Shuck can stay healthy, he's one of the more talented quarterbacks, one of the most talented quarterbacks in all of college football. He's 6'5", 230, can really run. He's got plenty of arm. We know that offense can be prolific. The other thing that jumps out at me, and um, I think Tim Druder is one of the best defensive coordinators in college football. He's got a lot of athletes. I had like three freak guys um, on my freaks list who are on that side of the ball. Steve Linton probably could have been the fourth. He's a transfer from Syracuse who who they love and, you know, has a little bit, feels a little like Will McDonald, to be honest, who is the Jets' first-round pick. They also get K-State in Lubbock, and, uh, you know, that's favorable. They don't, they don't have to play OU on the schedule, but they get between getting K-State and they get t- TCU in Lubbock. So I'd watch out for them. I had them in my, I did a preseason top 25 the other day and um, I had them in the top 20 and easily could have, you know, talked myself into having them maybe in the top 12. Cause I, I think they're, a, I think they're a real good dark horse. It's funny. I'm, those are the same two answers. I, Kansas state, it was my pick to win it again. I don't understand why they're being so overlooked in Texas tech. If, if there's a 
this year's TCU kind of team. I have a lot of respect, and Bruce, you alluded to it. I have a lot of respect for Tim DeRuiter. I saw what he did at Cal firsthand, where he they can't he came in there ranked in the hundreds in defense, and by year two they were in the top ten. Um, he knows what you know. That's a program that's never been known for defense. I think that could be a different story this year. All right. Last year, I'm going to give Stu a pat on the back here because I don't think he was a believer in the Sooners year one. It was a really, really rough debut season for Brent Venables coming back to Norman. Uh, they they had some moments and then they just flat fell apart. Uh, I think they'll be better. I don't think they're going to be top 15 kind of team, though, or either one of you getting ready to get on the bandwagon. I was surprised that, you know, I saw some of their win totals. I think we're like nine and a half, same as Texas. That that seems very high to me. Um, I think they're going to be better than last year, but I'm not ready to say this is a, a 10-win team, you know, by any measure. I like Dylan Gabriel. I think he, you know, fits really well in, in that system. I think when everything is going right and he's healthy, he can light it up. The problem is he's had a bunch of, you know, injury trouble in, in recent years. Um he lost his two top wide receivers from last season. They weren't great on defense last year. I'm not saying it's the same thing as Texas. They have all this talent, right? But I would kind of like to see it happen for, for Venables. And they've reshaped the roster a little bit. I'd like to go out and, and see them do it on the field before I'm going to totally buy in and, and be a believer on them. I mean, the reason I was down on them last year is I just thought it was such a radical change in culture from Lincoln Riley, offensive guy. You know, that was their identity. To Brent Venables, defensive guy, that's a whole culture change. I thought it would take more than it wouldn't. They wouldn't. It wouldn't be seamless, and it definitely wasn't. But that doesn't mean he can't be a great coach there. Dylan Gabriel leads the way here. Obviously, I'm going nine and three, but I don't think the defense. The defense was so bad for much of last year that it doesn't. It's not just coaching. You know, they just didn't have the players. Whether it was a dip in recruiting under Lincoln Riley or lack of development, I don't know. So. To your point, Justin, I don't think they can flip that overnight, but it'll be better. And I, I just expect, but I do expect a lot from the offense. So getting back to nine wins, not a problem. That's why they set it at nine and a half. They, they're daring you. They're daring you to take the over and they're a big brand name team and whatnot. You alluded to this earlier. Iowa State uh, has had, and they lost their quarterback and their top running back to the gambling suspensions. I don't. Hunter Deckers, I don't think we'll ever play again in college. There's been others. Matt Campbell was the toast of the coaching profession after they uh, won the Fiesta Bowl, finished top 10 in 2020. Then in Brock Purdy's senior season, they slipped to 7-6. and six. That was a bit of a disappointment. And then 4-8 and eight last year. Are we looking at, I mean, I think they're going to be playing a lot of freshmen. Are we looking at Matt Campbell going from Fiesta Bowl in 2020 to back-to-back losing seasons here? Justin, you want to start? Yeah, I'm. I, I it certainly has like all the makings to be a complete disaster. With you know just this hanging over them, and obviously the the players they lost. You know, you mentioned quarterback, running back. I think their top tight end is is kind of caught up in this too. You know, heading in before all this started coming out, Iowa State was kind of that team that I thought would would take a you know a nice step up from from last season, maybe rebound a little bit. Not that they would compete for a championship necessarily but i think matt campbell was you know really bothered and, and maybe um motivated by how last season went they kind of changed some things around on staff brought in a new or promoted a, a new oc so i kind of like like them as like hey maybe this is a team that'll end up in the top half of the conference after a bad year 
now, I mean, I know everyone's talking about West Virginia and they were picked last and Neil Brown's on the hot seat, but I think all this going on, there's a real chance that Iowa State could end up being the worst team in the conference just because of you know how, how hard they've been hit by all of this and the fact that it's still kind of hanging over the program. I, I think some players that have been involved have now started to come back to practice, but I don't know if we know certain suspension lengths and things like that. Obviously, the quarterback situation, you said, is is totally up in the air. They're still you know deciding who's going to be the starter there last time I, I checked. So uh, it seems like it has all the makings of just a, a horrible season gone wrong for them it's also a tricky schedule the way it sets up for them i think that week two game you know against our tribal iowa now it's it's a home game but still like if they don't pull an upset there and i think it would have to be an upset um then you got to go to ohio and i know that's like okay it's a max school but it's a road game and ohio is one of the best you know one of the best mac teams their defense actually looked quite a you know reasonably improved because it wasn't good last year it was actually the worst defense in the mac last year um you know it's not a it's a, it's not a, a toss-up game or anything it's not like a uh, i'm sorry it's not a cupcake opponent you know there's a chance if they lose to iowa they could lose at at ohio and then all of a sudden then you're getting into the big 12 and you're probably at best one and two and they have a bunch of road games out of the gate you know got to go to norman got to go see justin in cincinnati got to go to waco so it's it doesn't look great given everything that we know and there's a lot of stuff we don't know about how the gambling issues and who's been shelved i mean Look, I'll, I'll be surprised given some of the way this shapes up if they if they can get to six and six. But you know, I wouldn't have thought Iowa was going to be a top t- Iowa State was going to be a top ten program either at any point, and they they were able to do that a few years ago. So that leads to the logical question, and it sounds crazy, but hear me out. So Lincoln uh, Lincoln Riley got the USC job. If Lincoln Riley had won the Bedlam game, Matt Campbell would probably be the coach of USC now. Two years later. If that if we if this turns out to be a debacle, and granted the gambling stuff's out of his control, is he on the hot seat? I don't think he'd be fired. Is he on the, suddenly on the hot seat going into next year? Or are the fans like, yeah, that was you know he did it, that that's not his fault that the gambling stuff happened. Stu, it's Iowa State. It's not Ohio State. They've never been good. He led them to the best school the season in school history. Um, even you know even when seven and six is a disappointment. Seven and six at Iowa State is still a much better. Yeah, year. sure. I don't think he'd be on the hot seat. No. Uh, it depends on how bad it is. I also mm. think that there could be some panic firings at the end of the season because the conference is beefing so up next year. You're going to get as a head coach who you think is going to do do a great job at Iowa State in Ames, Iowa. I don't. I don't have a good answer to that. You don't have a good answer but, to that. But you have to remember, you like, don't have a good answer to that. Then but it's, don't. it's surprising to me, being the coaching carousel guy, you always apply this, like, rational rational thinking to these things. I know. I'm applying so There's it always a couple schools that just get caught up in the moment. I don't know. If, I don't think it'll be Iowa State. They get caught up in the moment. Things are going bad. Can't handle it. And fire the guy, right? Or like last year, Paul Christ. Uh, we, none of us had him on the hot seat list. He's had a good record there. And it like took like four or five games for them to hit the panic button on that. So I think it's going to happen in the Big 12, and here's why. If Ari has a bunch of typos in his next column he turns in, you want him fired? No, because I'm a rational person. These people at these boosters and whatnot are not. Like, 
They're going to 16 teams next year. They got the four Pac-12 teams coming this in. This is Ames, Iowa. This People is not are gonna. Okay, maybe it's not Iowa State, but somebody in the Big 12 is going to make a panic firing because they're going to be like, oh, the new teams are coming in next year. It's going to be a lot tougher. We got to make sure we have the right coach in place. That's all I'm saying. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, last thing. Speaking of the, it's it's kind of crazy that the Big Twelve is going from the eight current schools. They're adding four new ones this year, and then they're going to add another four new ones next year. It's going to be a whole different conference. Of the four, BYU, Cincinnati, UCF, Houston. Which one has the best season? I think UCF is the obvious and, yeah. and safe answer. Um, but my like, I don't know, lukewarm take is I actually think all four of the the newcomers are are going to struggle. You yeah. know, certainly this year. Maybe even in next year, I think UCF is clearly in the position to be the best of that group and, you know, maybe have the, you know, need the shortest runway to kind of get up to speed with the rest of the conference. But you mentioned like the the panic firing. I, I know um, Dana Holgerson told our uh, colleague Sam Kahn earlier this offseason that there is no hot seat for him. But he seems like one where if things don't go well for, for Houston this year, you know, they kind of uh, underachieved last year in the AAC. Uh, I, I think that might be one where they kind of have a decision to make. Um, BYU, you know, new starting quarterback um, with Keaton Slovis. It'll be interesting to see how he does. UCF does have the most kind of stability and, and probably comes in with the most top line talent. Cincinnati, we talked about, is, you know, transitioning into a coach. But I think we're looking at not that they're going to be the bottom four teams in the conference standings. I just, I think. You know, people have picked UCF as like a potential dark horse. They could have 10 wins. I feel like that's putting a lot of expectations on a team that has taken a, a major step up in terms of the week-to-week competition they're going to play in conference. I think BYU could be a little bit of a sleeper. I'm not saying they're going to be a top 15 team, but I think they're getting undervalued somewhat. Um, you know, I think Slovis will be a good fit in the offense. Like Aaron Rodericks had a bunch of really prolific offenses, albeit now – they're stepping up in competition, but they have some really good talent around there. I could see them, you know, for people who think they're going to be like four and eight. By the way, this is Stu had Kalani Satake as the guy who's getting run out of there too on his picks column last week. So, and he's won, he's won 29 games in the last three years. Again, somebody's going to make a panic firing. Although the BYU fans made it clear to me it would never, ever in a million years be Kalani he's Satake. He's won 29 games in the last three years. Somebody, we don't have to predict it. Somebody you would yeah. never expect <laughs> to be fired. Wait a minute, we don't have to predict it, but you did. Somebody you would never expect to be fired is going to get fired in the Big 12 this year. Mark it down. But you're staring at me blankly. I don't expect you to have a hot take coach, coach thing like that. But um, it's funny because I added that category this year. I probably shouldn't have. But I was like, you know, if what I've observed over college football the last five years, tell me if you agree, guys, is like the hot seat stuff has become as it's kind of like how realignment overshadows everything. Oftentimes, the hot seat stuff becomes the biggest story of the season, um, especially when it's like involving a big name program. So that's why I put that in there. I think in hindsight, I shouldn't have because then it's like 
I mean, some those a lot of those guys aren't going to actually get fired. I'm never going to hear the end of it. Billy Napier, as an example, but it'll happen. It's the idea that like we'll get through the season, and only four Power Five coaches will be like it'll only be you know Neil Brown and who's another obvious suspect, um, Justin Wilcox. No, there'll be some you don't see coming. All right, so I think the the last se- <laughs> I can say the last the last season of the Big Twelve with Texas and Oklahoma in it will be extremely entertaining and extremely competitive. I just don't see it producing a playoff team. And I think based on what you guys have said, you probably feel the same way. Unless, Justin, you want to sneak K-State in there? No, I I agree. I think they're all going to beat up on each other a little bit too much. But, you know, you kind of mentioned again whether it's a surprise firing. I think all of us picked Texas or kind of pegged them at, at nine and three. You know, would that be a disappointment? I, I'd like to hear what you two think about that. You know, Sam Kahn's written about this recently that this is, you know, this is the chance for Texas. They're going to the SEC. It's year three for Sark. It seems like all these pieces are together. If they're nine and three, he probably doesn't get fired, right? But like, that's, they have broader expectations. Ari Wasserman has bigger for sure. expectations for him this season. Stu, I'm going to, I'm going to piggyback off what Justin just said and give you the chance to break out your machete. If, if Texas goes seven and five, is that the high? Is that the the surprise Big Twelve firing you're looking for? Well, Texas? that's the thing. If Texas if Texas goes if Texas is like, you know, losing games that nobody thought they were going to lose. Like, yes, that he. I don't think he survives that. I don't know if you guys saw this. Well, you what am I You guys, I'm sure saw it. Might have flown under the radar nationally. Crystal Conti just got a big contract extension, and I was a little surprised by that because if Sark fails. Crystal Conti is going to take as much blame as anything for hiring him in the first place. But now he's got some job security. So I think he would feel like he can, he can make that decision if needed. I think they feel like they're going to SEC next year. They got to absolutely have the right coach in place. And as of now, there's, you know, plenty of reason to think it could be. Sarkey has definitely addressed uh, recruiting in some areas. They desperately needed an offensive and defensive line. So give him that. He's a great quarterback coach over the years. Maybe Quinn Ewers does have this breakout season, but if it's seven and five, maybe even eight and four, like they're going to hit the panic button. Eight and four. Tom Herman got fired off um, eight and three in a top twenty record, top twenty ranking. Tom Herman had other issues though. There, I think some of it is what is going on with how how do people feel about you if the, if the players feel like they don't trust you anymore. Um, that sometimes that is a bigger is a more of a damning thing than the than the wins and losses is. I mean, it was bad enough that Del Conte was out there trying to hire Urban Meyer in the middle of the season. He probably gets an Arch Manning cushion, right, for for at least a year. Mm, good point. Arch Manning came there to play for Sark. If they fire Sark, Arch can go in the portal and play for Georgia next year. Do we know? I mean, are you that sold that you're going to keep around a head coach who you? maybe have big doubts on just because of a quarterback you don't know actually how good he really is yeah yeah i guess to me that would be yeah that'd be the difference between seven and five yeah seven and five eight and four you you give him the arch manning cushion if it's if it's worse than that then maybe something more drastic happens let's finish on this because i know Stu is licking his chops at this justin i'm going to start with you who has a better chance of getting fired this year Jimbo Fisher, Steve Sarkeesian, Ari Wasserman. <laughs> I mean, first of all, let the 
First of all, let the record show that Bruce, who was so offended that I suggested anybody be fired, is now throwing out potential firing. Well, because as if Ari doesn't think you have it out for him enough, you just you're putting his job security on the line. Kidding. I wanted to see your faces on the last night. Yeah, I'll throw my body in in front of Ari. I love Ari, so I would never want anything to happen to him. The the Texas Texas A&M discussion is super interesting, though, because, you know, Texas is obviously going into the SEC next year. That's going to be a big deal. I still just, I keep, and I know everyone talks about it, but like, what, it's... $80 $80 million still on the hook for, for Jimbo, you know, seven high seventies by the end of this season. Uh, I think things would have to be really, really bad, um, you know, for, for them to, to run him out um, at, at, of college. Well, that's really, so really I, bad. What's your demarcation of it's bad enough that we got to spend the 70 something million dollars. Like if they were, you know, if they would go even six and six, but then maybe lose the bowl game, like finish with another losing record. I certainly think they would talk about it. Texas, if Texas A&M, if he's six and six, there's no way they can bring, I think there's no way they can bring him back. Cause I don't know how you sell to people, you know, he's two years after the greatest recruiting class in the history of two, four, seven and all these recruiting sites. And he goes six and six and five and seven in the wake of that. I mean, year six, I don't like, I think if he wins, if he's seven and five, I'd be surprised if they, if they give him another year, I think if it's eight and four. I think it's iffy seven and five. I don't think you, I don't, I don't think they bring him back. Cause I just don't know how you sell to anybody. He's going to get it done there, especially when you're coming off a year where there's a lot of turnover, you know, like in the, in the, in the conference. And they have to be absolutely sure they're going to have the, somebody they think can beat Texas next year when that comes back on. I was going to say in that sense, I would say then Jimbo would, would seem more likely because I think even if Texas doesn't live up to, you know, the Ari Wasserman playoff expectations, like they're still probably going to win eight, nine games, right? Like just the, the difference in, in the conferences and the amount of talent they have. So if, you know, and I think you're probably right, Bruce, in that sense, then I would say probably Jimbo's seat is a little, a uh, little hotter. A lot. I think it's a lot hotter. And I think that you know, sometimes it depends on like, if they goes eight and four, who, who are the eight against and who are the four against, right? They can feel a lot different if one of the wins is Alabama, for instance, or if LSU is on path to make the playoff and A&M derails it in the last week of the season. I don't, I don't know if I agree on that regard because five and seven, I don't think felt any better because they almost beat Alabama and they did beat LSU. No, because the whole season was a train wreck. You know, this season has to be mostly successful, but I, in the off season, early in the off season, I was like, it's still $77 million. That's crazy. And now it's like, nothing nothing's crazy anymore in college football they'll they'll find the money it'll be insane but they'll find it yeah all right justin we kept you longer than we said we would um your big 12 expertise is fantastic have a great season have a great uh week one and we will talk to you again soon absolutely i appreciate it guys thank you all right thanks to justin for coming on we are definitely in two episode a week territory here we'll come back later in the week look ahead to some of the uh week one games, and answer your emails. So send your questions to the audiblepod at gmail.com. And if you're not a subscriber to The Athletic, this would be the time to do it, both because it's the start of the season and our college football coverage of the season is going to be loaded, but also it's a dollar a month right now. Dollar a month. That promo does not come around very often. Go to theathletic.com slash theaudible, not audible, theaudible, to get $1 a month subscription to The Athletic. See you next time. How did we get away with-